We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Greg Manakis, checking in. I just wanted to preface this pod uh, just with a little explanation of what you're going to be listening to. So on this pod, you're going to hear a conversation between Will Weir, Adam Taylor, and Seth Partnow of The Athletic as they're going to be going through Seth's tiers and talking about how Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and the rest of the lineup kind of stack up um quick shout to will he just celebrated his 34th birthday in his truth year um so make sure you send will some love but timestamps: the first 10 minutes you're going to be hearing a little bit about seth's uh thought process then the next 10 minutes you're going to hear tatum versus booker and how can tatum reach the top tier about 10 minutes on jalen brown and the last 20 minutes kind of go through the rest of the roster and taking a look at the celtics throughout the rest of their roster and how it's going to stack up with the rest of the league and whether or not they are championship contenders this year. All right, that's it. We'll be back midweek. Enjoy. Right. Joining us today here on Green with Envy, we are really excited to have this next guest. If you are subscribing to The Athletic, which you absolutely should because there is great coverage over there, you're going to be very familiar with one of my favorite works of each and every offseason for about the last five years or so. We have athletic writer Seth Partnow on here, who, of course, is the author, the man behind the scenes of the Tears article, which, depending on who your favorite player is, you may or may not have an issue with. But, Seth, we are uh, really excited to have you join the show today. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I, I, uh, I've been accused of being a hater from every conceivable direction. So um, <laughs> I, this being that this is the fourth year that I've done these publicly. This is this is sort of a a similar exercise to what happens within teams um, that kind of did a modified version of it to bring it uh, to the public. And so this is the fourth the fourth annual edition of the of the player tiers. And, and you know what? I, I love these, man. I love the debate that this kind of I mean, it's the offseason, right? You know, myself, Adam, Greg, we're, we're always looking for content basically from, you know, once once summer league wraps up until training camp, unless we get little nuggets here and there, like it sometimes gets hard to kind of fill that space. And so I think this is a, a really great article that gives a different perspective to just, hey, here's the top one 
one, two, three, four. But I think that tier ranking is something that is is really unique and that we've tried to emulate with our show as well, too, when we talk about where players, you know, what their status is within the league. But a question I'm always really curious about, and, you know, it's human nature that when you have a, a large project, whether it's work-related, home-related, you know, there's a lot of anxiety of just where, where the hell do I even start this? Because then once you get started, you can get into it and you can get going. So I'm curious, do you usually start at the top and work your way down or is this at the bottom and then work your way up? What, what's typically the process behind the scenes to the tiers? Uh, well, the good news is, is since that, that um, this is the fourth year of doing it um, and, and my way of thinking about the league is I think that the league is pretty sticky in terms of not wanting to guys have good seasons and bad seasons, but where players are sort of overall in the league changes. I don't want to say in geological time for the most part, but it's not like, well, he, he's, he, he made, he made jumpers for two weeks. So now he's a, he's the 10th best player in the league. I, I really want to avoid that. So starting from a standpoint of how I kind of viewed the league previously, it means it's more, uh, moving guys up and down and maybe slotting a few new guys in rather than, you know, blank sheet of paper. So it's easier in that way. The first time was, was a little bit nerve wracking, uh, in, in that regard, but I was also helped by the fact that I, um, did, did, did I've done a fair amount of research on understanding what sort of the, the overall structure of the league should look like. And the, the reason why it's, it's tiers and not rankings is okay. There are, there are some, it, it it's not actual like discrete buckets, but it's it's use, more useful to think about it. But there are certain number of players, give or take, every year who are at a certain level, and then more who are at the next level down, and then more who are at the next level down, and so on and so forth. And I think one of the things that we do, we broadly speaking, is we get over inclusive. I mean, if you ask someone to name everyone they say is a top ten player, they're going to come up with eighteen guys. And that's obviously not the case. And I think a big mistake that a lot of teams make is sort of not being as cold-eyed about saying, all right, our guy's pretty good. He's not that. Like, again, you're, you're, the, you're the Suns. You're very happy you have Devin Booker. He's not Steph Curry. And, like, you know, not alighting the distinction the, between the two is pretty important in sort of the self-evaluation of where are we at as a team. How much does recency bias affect these? So, you know, like you're doing these in the offseason after a playoff run or multiple playoff runs for different teams. And some players may be historically good in the playoffs, but they just have a stinker through a series or two. How much does that kind of affect how you approach where you tier them? Do you try and be more inclusive to the regular season as well as the postseason? Or do you struggle with that a little bit? Struggle with it a little bit, but I think that, that my general rule is everyone gets one mulligan like someone has a has a bad you know bad playoff run has a rough season as injury play like okay i'll especially if there are kind of circumstances surrounding it like okay you know the, i think not this past season but uh the 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 last season uh kevin durant uh when they got swept by the celtics it's like okay he was he was not good in that series but he's typically he is by and large been an excellent playoff performer and that team was an all-time mess so we're gonna just you know get a little bit of a mulligan mm -hmm. there and then he was 
I mean, he was certainly a hard player for me to to figure out where to slot in, in part because of sort of the the dislocation of exiting from that situation in Brooklyn and then getting hurt right away when he got to Phoenix and that team never really coalescing. So uh, he's almost on his, you know, working off of one and a half consecutive mulligans. And so of, of players who I'm watching very closely this year to see if they still belong, you know, as high as I, highly as I have them is, is something that I'll be paying attention to all year. And that's something that having a list to work from helps is I can, is I, is I, is I know a little bit what the questions I need to have answered are. So having said that, what is the hardest evaluation for you to make on this list? Is it that guy like Kevin Durant where he's got history? You know, like you said, some guys, they're going to get a mulligan and you can kind of figure out based off their history and present kind of where they slot in. Or is it more, you know, a guy that's that's on the rise, maybe a Mikhail Bridges that was a role player. Then he got a chance to kind of shine on his own a little bit in Phoenix and then certainly a lot more when he goes to Brooklyn. You know, where do you find it being the most difficult within this list, which, by the way, just for for listeners contains 125 players as the cutoff for the five tiers so where do you find it hardest to to distinct those evaluations i think that the sort of the older star bad season or getting past or father that's, time that's finally tough. finally oh yeah father time yeah it's just like I, I you know i i'm surprised by how little pushback i've gotten from having LeBron is in tier two instead of tier one this year, um, which maybe makes me think I was a year late on it almost because it's now, like, yeah, that's about right. Like he's like, even the, 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 the stanniest of stands will, will kind of, yeah, no, it's fair uh, um, to that, especially when compared with the players who are ahead of him. So that's one. The other half, the other part is a little bit the, the bridges point you're talking about, but it's the distinction between, the elite role player and the okay star profile kind of player. Um, and, and the avatar for this has been for the last couple of years has been Brandon Ingram who, you know, if he's like, what is the level of a team that he's the best player on compared to the other kind of best player wings. And yet at the same time, if you asked, I don't know, Derek White to take on on Brandon Ingram's role, it would be ugly. But if you ask Brandon Ingram to take on Derek White's role, there's not, I'm not sure that there is a lot of evidence that, that you know, that sort of defensive and, and connective bit that sort of a third, fourth, fifth guy can have and the, and the importance of having those guys on a playoff team, a championship level team, can't be understated. So Within the lens of looking at it, this is, you know, assuming reasonable health, who is going to be more helpful towards winning a championship this year? Is it that elite role player or is it the guy who is can be a okay high usage guy? But if he's your high usage guy again, where are you going? That's always a hard one for me. Um, and that's that's typically the one that I get the most pushback on. Uh, that That category of player is the one I get the most pushback on because I think that while it's true that individual offense and shot creation is the single most important skill in the NBA, the difference between doing that at an elite or very good or excellent level and doing it that is a pretty good okay level, there's a big gap in sort of the value uh, b- between that. And, and there are guys who fall just on the good side of that line 
just maybe a, a Jalen Brown or something who has some other attributes that help him. And there are players who fall just on the other side of that line who are typically the ones that I um, have been much lower on than consensus with Ingram being sort of the, again, the avatar for that group. And to contextualize for any Celtics fans that are only watching Celtics games, would you kind of use Malcolm Brogdon as Boston's version of Brandon Ingram as that avatar in this discussion? Ah, uh, he's probably, he's not quite at that. There were, there was maybe a time where he was approaching that level. I think he's, he's moved beyond being past being that level as a player, both because of, of kind of injuries have taken a little bit of a toll on him and, um, you know, sort of his, his skill level has settled at a certain area. That's a little, that's lower than that a little bit. Some of that is just the difference in, you know, body type. That's fair. Uh, a 6'8 guy with wingspan and a and a 6'4 tank, mm-hmm. whatever whatever height we want to call Brogdon. <laughs> like, they're just different. They're, they're just different profiles of things they can do. That's fair. So this is, this is a good transition point. I want to start kind of going through the tiers and using the Celtics as our way to kind of climb down this theoretical sure. ladder here. And, you know, something that, that really stood out to me, I went through and I kind of went team by team to see how many guys from each team, you know, made this list of, of what's ultimately 125 guys. And I know you do state in the first article, this list could really theoretically be up to to 150 guys it's that 5a it's, it's really hard to you know kind of figure out where that cutoff is but with the 125 guys that are you know listed on there the celtics have seven guys across these five tiers that's only matched by the warriors as far as the volume or the quantity of of how many you know players that they have so let's start at the top and you know the highest ranked celtic no shock no shock no surprise it's jason tatum he falls just short of entering into that tier one level and you even mentioned and this is really i do think one of the funnest debates in the nba right now jason tatum versus devin booker and i think this is extremely appropriate time to have that conversation where you know fiba world cup just we're recording this on a friday afternoon fiba world cup just started by the time this podcast is released usa will have played their first game neither guy playing in the fiba world cup but you can likely expect both of them to be back on team usa for the olympics and with durant lebron steph all starting to age this really seems kind of like the competition for the face, quote unquote, of USA basketball is Jason Tatum versus Devin Booker. And as you were breaking down the two of them, you've been mentioned that for Jason Tatum, 90% of the time, he's a tier one guy, most of the time, 90%. But there's that 10% that leaves him still in this 2A category. So if you could, I'd love for you to kind of talk us through, you know, Number one, Jason Tatum versus Devin Booker, and then how you end up with with them in two A versus you know I, I noticed there was no one C category, just one A, one B, but preventing them from quite getting to that that tier one level. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Sure. Let me take the, the the lack of one C is from an empirical standpoint, there's three to seven guys, generally speaking, who should be who should be tier one in any given season. So uh, since I got to tier one B with six guys and, you know, some people have said, well, maybe I should have had it, it slightly different um, in terms of where Steph Curry was relevant to, to Giannis and Jokic or Jokic should have been one AL or whatever. Like those are the those those were the the six guys and it's it's those three and uh, Luca Embiid and KD. Um, uh, and I, again, with the explanation for for why I still had KD that high that I gave earlier, um, the the differentiating factor is I think again it's that for for Tatum it is that ten percent and I think that's a little bit of a microcosm of the Celtics as a whole um, in that you know. They are. They go through large stretches of games of seasons, looking like the best team in the league, and then you guys have seen it over the last couple of years in the playoffs. Like we're up eight. There's five minutes left. We're just going to stop playing basketball. Oh crap, we lost. And then it, now it's a seven game series against you know a, a team we drastically out talent in the Heat. This is not this year's, but last year's. Like the fact that that series was even close enough that Jimmy Butler had the ball in the air. In game seven. In which, by the way, is, every Celtics fan in the world thought that shot was going in. Yeah. I, I mean, I, and, I, and I think that that there's no, they had no business like letting it be that close. And it was, you know, credit to the Heat up for sticking around and being willing to take advantage of that. Um, but that, that's much more self-inflicted. And I think that's with, with Tatum, there are, are times where, you know, the handle gets loose. There are times when he does not finish with any sort of force inside. There are lots of times where he gets to the basket, thinks he got fouled, and uh, instead of defending, uh, wants to talk about not getting a foul call. And that turns into, you know, every time that turns into a fast break the other way, it doesn't take that many of those. You know, each one of those is worth, you know, from a theoretical standpoint, it's worth about a third of a point. And we're talking in, you know, NBA where the difference between like the best players and the next group down is maybe like, you know, two points per hundred. You start to give those thirds of points away multiple times per game. 
it's sort of like guys who 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 are decent defenders but foul a lot. It doesn't take that many extra of those for you to uh, negate a lot of the good things you do. And so that's where like the, the, that ten percent like is is enough in in relation to the ninety percent of of awesome. The ninety percent where he he is a great offensive initiator is a is a reliable playmaker out of the pick and roll um taken as a whole balance because you, you can't just cherry pick the good parts that's what keeps him out of being in that that top group and the the, the contrast with booker who i think is again by we, we talked about the difference in frame you know between brogdon and ingram i think that the same same dynamic exists a little bit between tatum and, and booker uh, like Tatum's ceiling is higher because of the the you know just the physical nature of it, but Booker is much more frequently and consistently nearer his peak, and that's the part that makes the debate between them interesting. Like Tatum could be better, but on on a any given median night, any given fourth quarter, who do you trust more? And then it becomes a lot more interesting. And I think based on recent history. You could easily prefer Booker, but it's not it's not cut and dried, and that's how they end up in the same tier. Who do you think out of those two is is more likely to make the ascension to tier one by next offseason? I think Tatum is more likely just because again, I think there's the 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 sort of production to talent, there's more of a gap between the you know the, the production to ceiling talent than there is uh for Booker. Now Booker is a player who has gotten tons better and it continues to add to his game i think this past year really the past two years he's come on tremendously defensively which is a part part of what has been impressive to me about about him um how much more is there i don't know he's gonna get every chance to show it this season though so he's so it's not a situation like some players who you know they have questions about them and their team their team situation means we're not going to know um you know what can I think you know there's a number of years where I, I had I had suspicions that Nikola Jokic would be just fine with you know contention level talent around him, but with Jamal Murray not playing and and you know uh, uh, Michael Porter Jr. injured, he just he, you 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 didn't get a clean run at the question. I think he answered that in the most emphatic way possible this past year, but before that, it was an open question. Um, but but both players are in situations where they should get a chance to at least address the questions that I have about them. Moving on, you've got Jalen Brown in tier three, three A to be specific, just signed a new contract, monster, monster, supermax. The biggest, you were saying like, you know, there's a discussion around who could be the face of Team USA. I know we'll mention that. Um, the biggest question, discussion point around Jalen at the moment is, is he worth the contract value both now and by the end of the deal? What do you see from him that made you put him in free A as a boat, you know, along with Mitchell? I can see here you got Jaron Jackson, Anthony Edwards, bam. So he's in that level of guy. So I'm just wondering what you see, whether he could make that ascension to tier two and whether you feel like that ascension would be comparative to the contract value. Um so starting with the contract, like in in just linear terms, no, he's not worth that contract and he won't be. But Relative to the Celtics situation, they're they're not they they would have no way to replace him in their championship level team, and it's not my money, so who cares? It's sort <laughs> of it, it, like it's the biggest contract in the NBA until the next round of yeah, contracts for signed. Now. So 
yeah um so and and also like given the importance of top level players it, it, it there that especially for top level teams figuring out the value of the contract is a little more challenging because you can't just look at like regular season wins it's it's also how much does this guy help us in the playoffs and that's kind of the economic calculation of that is is challenging i i certainly don't have a good approach to it from a from a strictly you know numerical statistical standpoint um in terms of his likelihood of getting to getting higher than that i think he's probably barring um what would be very unusual skill development at this point in his career. I think this is, this is really his peak. Um, you know, I think, I don't think we need to go into, you know, the foibles of the left hand and, and stuff like that. <laughs> but, but Celtics fans um, have heard enough about the left hand. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, you know, um, I will say that, that I'm, I might actually be a little higher than Brown than some people. And part of it is um, he's almost the, In some ways, he's turned the 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 skill, the relative skill deficit, into an advantage because sometimes the Celtics need some dynamism, and he is very straightforward. He is one move going to the basket, and there are a lot of times where that's the best thing they have going for them. Now there are also times where that leads to turnovers and fast breaks the other way and all that fun stuff. But I think that um, if you sort of put the consistency of Brown's like attacking demeanor in Tatum's skill set, you know, mm-hmm. that's that, that's that that's a that that's an interesting, like that's a, that's a tier that's a tier one player of, of of some form. So it's almost like he's confidenced his way to the the peak of his ability. And you're kind of hitting on something that I I always say about Jalen Brown. I think he, I think where he's at is one of the toughest roles you can be where you're, you're very clearly the second best guy, but on certain nights you could be the best guy, but it's knowing when to, to kind of go for that. And like you said, sometimes that, you know, straightforward approach, perfect. So Jason Tatum didn't have its night or, you know, ideally we wish we saw this and obviously in game seven work out better after Jason Tatum rolls his ankle early in the game. Sometimes it leads to turnovers, but you know, that's a really tough position to say tonight, I'm going to have to be the guy and other nights just kind of be waiting. Like, okay, I got to take my opportunity these when they come and and that's a really tough position for you know someone like Jalen Brown and, and I think within that tier three that you have him in I think throughout that there's like three types of guys that I that I generally see in that list one is kind of up-and-coming guys that are, are still ascending the Anthony Edwards Tyrese Halliburton where this is part of their progression you see you know guys who are miscast as the best play good really good players stars as you would say for this you know for this exercise that are miscast as the best player on their team bradley beal formerly when he was in washington DeRozan, someone of, of that where well, you're not going to win a championship they're good players but you're not winning a championship with them as your best player and then there's a bunch of the you know the 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 best number two guys that you can have in the league, a lot of them, you know, are going to find their way into two C three, a three B type category. And, and, you know, that's, that's Jalen Brown's role, but it can be a really, really difficult position to be in. And I think it's worthwhile also, you know, talking about the range we're talking about, like the bottom of, of tier two, we're talking about like, you know, the guys at the bottom end of, of, of top 20, we started getting a tier three. We're in like the, you know, the, the twenties and the thirties. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think that's, that's helpful to, to also calibrate, 
you know what we're talking about. And if you know, if you if you're the like if you have the twenty fifth fifth best player in the league on your team, and he's your best player, you know, the math is such that of course he's not going to. You, you're you going to have to do some pretty extraordinary things from a team building perspective yeah. around him to, to you better have, have eight a... guys between 40 and a hundred. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if you're, if right. you're thinking of championship aspirations. Yeah. And even that is, is, is even that is challenging because then you get, you run into, okay, well you, the, uh, part of the, the synergy of the nuggets this year is they had five dudes, really six, but those six dudes. And it's like, they knew exactly where they were. Like, okay, maybe some nights it's Bruce Brown, some nights it's Michael Porter Jr. But for the most part, everyone knows, like everyone has their their slot and they know what they're doing. And having that level of sort of consistency and trust and 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 all that, I think is is also in practical terms, is very beneficial because all right, we know what we're doing, let's go do it. Yeah, and, and real quick before we leave tier three, the, you know, to Adam's kind of question earlier about like recency bias. You know, and, and not even necessarily recency biases, but balancing regular season versus postseason. I look at kind of Jamal Murray versus Jalen Brown, right? Jamal Murray never made an all-star team, never made an all-NBA team. His regular season stats, good, not great. But then you see what he did in the postseason. You see what he's also done in previous postseasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had this debate on our show as well, too, about, you know, kind of Jamal Murray versus Jalen versus Donovan Mitchell, all guys that kind of live in the similar area. And, you know, we keep defaulting to, you know, when, when the lights are brightest, Jamal Murray's been the best of these guys, and he's done it multiple times now. And so it's hard not to say that, yeah, Jamal Murray has a higher standing in the league than, you know, a guy like Jalen Brown. And it's not miles apart, but it, it's hard not to say that almost definitively right now. And I think the the other bit is the part you talked about, about being the second best guy who sometimes needs to do the other thing. No, I don't think anyone has, it's hard to remember a guy who's done it as sort of seamlessly as Murray has done that with Jokic. I mean, it, I mean, part of that's Jokic's part of it is, nature, right? Is that he, he yeah. doesn't mind deferring to that. If, yeah. If and, and the compliment, but even, you know, I think, I think that, that Dwayne Wade on the heat was a better player than Jamal Murray is. But there was more kind of tension between how LeBron played and how Wade played. Um, so there's almost more the, the the way that Jokic and Murray are more than the sum of their parts playing together is something that um, is is I don't want to say it's unique, but it's that's that's pretty high level also. And I think being able to fit in with other great players is a, an important thing to consider when we're talking about, you know, the guys who aren't necessarily the, the context creators that the, that the really top guys are, uh, it's, it's, it's as in many ways, this is, you know, degree of difficulty of, of fitting this guy into a championship construction. And that's why some players, like if we're just talking about who is the, you know, best guy at helping build a regular season winning team versus a playoff, like a guy like Demonis Sabonis, uh, is very helpful in one category. And then he's like, okay, well, how do we fit him? Uh, assuming that, you know, with bowing to some realities of team construction, okay, how do you practically build a a true contender with, with and around this guy? And the pathways become very narrow. And and so that that is, is why, like, someone like him, even though he's legitimately an all-star, gets legitimate all-NBA consideration – is not even in tier three, is in tier four. That kind of leads me on to more of a team-based question, like team building. So we've got Jason Tatum, 
tier two, uh, tier two A top ten guy would argue. Would you agree, top ten? I mean, he's like he's in the group of like you know, it's a group of five for the four spot remaining spots in the the top ten. Got the uh, for your listeners, you got the six in the in the tier one, and then tier two A is uh, it's it's I believe it's Tatum, uh, Booker, LeBron. Who else did I put in there? Help me out. I've got it. I'm I just scrolling. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, Butler, Jimmy Butler and and one more, I think. So you've got uh, LeBron, Kawhi, Jimmy, Jason. Kawhi, thank you. Yeah, I, I forgot about Kawhi. Okay, so we can say top 12, just to be fair. Yeah. So you've got you've yeah. got your top 12 guy. Then you've got Jalen Brown, top 25 to 30, 35 range. And then you come down and you've got Derek White. Robert Williams, Chris Stapps, Paul Zingas in your tier four, tier four A to be specific, top 50 to 75 type range, I'm assuming. So now all of a mm-hmm. sudden the Celtics have five guys in the top 75, uh, high level potential, depending on the night top 10 guy, potential top 25. That's a nice little duo there. And now you're rounding out with these three other guys in that top 75. Mm-hmm. And the only other team I think you've got with that many players in that height, in that, um, region is the Warriors who obviously are the Warriors I'm just thinking I'm just wondering how you see that kind of all gelling together we was just as you were just speaking about everyone in Denver knew their role knew exactly what they needed to do for Boston that hasn't always been apparent there's sometimes it feels like people are overstepping their role or they're underplaying their role to a degree um so I just want to get your opinion on those three guys being like you know the key part of that rotation as well Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sure. Uh, so Denver also has has five guys, kind of tier four, tier four and above, um, their their starting lineup. But I think that, I mean, the way I interpret that is they are a championship level team that hasn't quite figured. And I, you know, I you know made their level of success over the past several years is that of a a contention level team that hasn't quite made it over the top yet. Um, and yeah, you can you know we can point to any number of reasons why 
kind of they've come up short and and a lot of it is of their own doing and i think um you know some alteration of that dynamic is probably why you saw the you know them bring in Christoph Porzingis um uh at, you know for, for Marcus Smart to sort of give a different look uh there so um I, like from a a talent standpoint they're the only real problem they have is when you're coming up against the very best teams in the league, you're probably don't have the best player on the court because you're going to run into a Giannis. You're going to run into a Jokic. You're going to run into, in, into, you know, Curry or something like that. Or you, you play Miami and their best guy and your best guy are similar levels and their best guy is better than your best guy sort of in the moment. Um, And that, and that, and that can happen too. I mean, two guys, you know, at the similar level, One's going to win, one's going to lose. Doesn't I don't think that that is like an immutable logic that well they won this series so he's definitely better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the you know sometimes you get the bear, sometimes the bear gets you, and so I guess a long wind of saying is like yeah they're they they are a talented enough team to to be a finalist to to win the NBA championship. Um, there's there's five six seven teams that are, that that of whom you can say that and only one can win it any given year. So the fact that they haven't done it yet doesn't prove that they aren't at the level to be able to do it. Maybe they, they are at the level where other teams are more likely in a given year. And that's again, a function of, of Tatum being that slight step down from even like, you know, a Luca or something like that. Um, but I think as a Celtics fan, you, I mean, you, you, you know, there's only a few other teams that are in that level of talent. So you got to be pretty happy from there. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of that, you know, that level of talent, I think that's, you know, we've talked about in our show a bunch, you know, that's the trade-off with Porzingis for Marcus Smart is you're upping, you know, your overall talent. Of course, now, the way that we've kind of phrased it as we think the ceiling's higher, the floor is a little bit lower because you have some more injury risk. You're, you know, you got to, you're taking out a guy that's been the staple of your team for nine years. So, you know, you're, you are adding some risk, but I do think that you're increasing that ceiling. What is your view on the, on the Porzingis for, for smart move and, and where you think that changes the Celtics or maybe keeps them in their a very similar standing to, you know, that championship com- competitive level? Um, I, well, I think that, that the, 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 the tread uh, was maybe starting to wear on, on smart. And I, I think that there's a, almost as much of a political benefit to it. I think Derek White's a better player at this point in their, in their careers than smart. And so the, well, who's going to close games? Ooh, Wanny, you've got Derek White closing over Marcus Smart. Oh, wave our hands. We uh, and the, we it, started campaigning for Derek White to close games uh, pretty early on on the show. We were very much in the camp of, you know, a, there was always kind of at least one guy who was going to be on the fence of closing. And we decided at a certain point that, listen, it's probably Marcus because Derek's been that awesome. You're going to keep at least one of those bigs out there. And then you get the Jays. So by process of elimination, it's it, it would kind of default just had to be Marcus. And... So there's that. Um, I think that you know, uh, giving another you know look, um, especially as Al Horford start, starts to to show his age a little bit, um, you know, all three of their big guys, you have some concerns about availability, but maybe the overlapping nature of it means you can you can either sustain an injury to one of them or get them to sort of nurse each other through the regular season and get to the playoffs in a, in a good spot. And like Porzingis quietly had perhaps his best season last year. Um, 
you know, it's there's always the injury concerns with him. Obviously, you know, he's not playing in the World Cup. How much should we be worried about a guy deciding to not play in the World Cup with, you know, a sort of nebulous injury like plantar fasciitis? By and large, you'd say, yeah, he decided he didn't want to play with a player with Porzingis' injury history. You naturally have a little bit of worry about that. So it also kind of doesn't matter where he is in October. Basically, you care about where he is in April. Um, so, and then, but then just the adding of, of you know, a little bit more offensive uh, dynamism. I mean, Porzingis is a guy who it may not always be the prettiest thing, but he's certainly a guy who is more adept at creating offense, at least for himself, than, than Marcus Smart was. From a, a, a spacing standpoint, I mean, having to contend with a 7-3 guy who can shoot out to 28 feet it's an intro that, that, that presents a different problem. I mean, Al Horford has certainly made himself into a very good shooter, but he's probably more of a wings and down guy. Whereas, you know, some of the pick and pop options, a very high, you know, drag screen action you can, you can get into with Porzingis. And then you can do that without necessarily giving much away on the defensive end because uh, he is a very good rim protector. So the, the, the mix and match and combos you can do uh, and the playoffs are a little bit about being a Swiss Army knife and being able to uh, respond to multiple scenarios. I mean, you can play. Do you play with just Porzingis? Can Porzingis and Williams play together? Can Porzingis and Horford play together in a lineup that can play, you know, five out while still being big and, and defensively solid? Uh, there's so many, like, so many different ways that they can they can go about things. That I think that um, while there are things you will miss about Marcus Smart. I I have there's there's a suspicion also that and this is something that you guys can maybe answer for me more than I can. Um you know there's, there's talk about taking away the heart and soul of the team. Well the heart and soul of the team has this penchant for across three different coaches of having these these late game meltdowns. And yeah, okay, you can put that on Tatum and Brown and and Brad Stevens and Emilia Doka and 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 and, and Joe Mazzulla. That's fine. But Marcus Smart has also been a common denominator of that. And just wondering if if maybe a different you know overall vibe might because I mean you know whatever whatever you think of Marcus Smart, there's no question that he's a lot. And you know that's it, it's probably it's mostly that's net positive but in this one aspect is it has it maybe contributed to that problem maybe i don't know i i think it's certainly plausible so to me you know i i always appreciate when teams are good and 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 realize we still need to get better instead of saying nope we're good enough run it back um because like what's the downside of, of of not trying to get better but anyway that's a that's a whole other soapbox I just want to touch on you. You were talking about the different combinations you can run with Porzingis, and one the only concern I have because I'm quite high on the Porzingis edition. The only concern I have is the Celtics like to run double big. I see the vision offensively with Porzingis and Rob Williams on the floor together. Obviously, the spacing allows Rob to be the lob threat and do his um, slip screens and what have you. But defensively, I'm not sure how well that fits together. Last season, teams really figured out how to counter Rob being that kind of weak side Roma where you'd put him on the, the worst shooter on the weak side corner. 
teams just started running pin downs or handoff actions to get a good shooter in the corner and then Rob can't rotate over anymore. And if you do that and then you've got Paul Zingas playing drop, it feels like you're one defender short because now Rob's susceptible to being beat off the dribble or being pinned down and not being able to rotate back over. So I'm just wondering how you'd look at that from a team building standpoint and be like, we can make this work by X. So I think that the, 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 the teams figuring that out was not so much about exploiting Williams per se, as it was about removing him as a help guy. Yeah. You already got, well, if, if Porzingis is there, then you already got that, that help guy. And, and I think Williams, I think it's, is when he's right, I think he is part of the reason I'm so high on him. And I've been like high on him since he was in college. Part of the reason I'm so high on him is I think he is uh, very underrated in his ability to guard out on the perimeter in terms of, of on switches on what would, you know, theoretically be, be mismatches. So fine, run your stuff to put Robert Williams in spots. Like as long as we're not ending up with, with, or you're not ending up with, uh, with, I went Hubie Brown for a second there. As long as we're not uh, uh, ending up with, uh, um, you know, Williams spending whole stretches of games getting switched on to, you know, the elite pull-up jump shooting shot creators, you know, your your Steph, your Luca, your Dame, you know, you can do that in a pinch. But as long as you're not, that's not an every play thing. I I would almost welcome teams to. Well, we're going to try to neutralize Robert Williams by moving him around with Porzingis on the floor. It's like, okay, well, we still got a, a Porzingis is not as good a rim protector as Robert Williams, but he's still a, a a well above average interior defender, and you know Williams can can chase relative to players of of kind of his size and and interior defensive capabilities. Not that many of them guard on the perimeter as well as he does. Yeah, and I think to a lot of what you're saying, Seth, that's where I feel pretty comfortable that whether it's Porzingis and Rob, we've seen Rob and Al play together, you know, whichever combination of those three, you could run them out there individually. And I think any of the combination, you can find a way to make that work. Would, would that would that be kind of aligned with what with how you're feeling about, you know, you have the opportunity to mix and match because, you know, versatility yeah. is going to be king depending on who you're playing. And there are some matchups where you're where you're not going to be able to play both of the like two two bigs exactly, and, or or you might not want to all the time. And if you, if we're talking about you know a deep dissection of the Celtics roster, that's almost where the 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 loss of Smart is is almost as much about the their depth in terms of perimeter play. Um, in terms of you get, I mean, depending on how how you feel about Peyton Pritchard or whoever else, but um, you know you've got four guys you feel pretty good about at least one of whom is pretty injury prone and then after that it's a lot of a lot of who i don't know pretty quickly yeah i mean I, and so that's that's i was gonna say i think i think you mentioned the nuggets right how they have kind of six guys and they just yeah. like that's that's who they ride with and that's their six and yeah. you know i think for the celtics it's it's a similar model health you know obviously health being a big thing but then in the regular season kind of just figuring out all right with these seven guys and you'll you'll get in the regular season you'll get your Pritchard in there you'll get O'Shea Brissett you'll get you know Sam Hauser whoever else you know in, in the mix but then the playoffs if you have those seven guys and if you can you know 
not ex- not an exact apples to apples comparison with the with the Nuggets, but in your own way, find out what that mix is with those seven guys. That that's what will ultimately, at least for me, probably be the the biggest differentiator come playoff time. And I think the the to push it back on you a little bit, I think what what you, you would find is that the, the, the Nuggets guys, relatively speaking, have just that little bit more versatility. And, and some of that is like there there is not a the Celtics do not have an equivalent of Aaron Gordon. Yeah. I think I think Aaron Gordon and Derek White are reasonably similar level of players, but at least for the range of sort of roles and positions that the two teams have, Gordon fills a hole that uh for the Nuggets that that White doesn't really do for uh you know the you can you can play you can play big or small everything in between and Aaron Gordon can probably be on the floor and does does White offer quite the same range of different mm-hmm. things that he can do especially defensively like he can guard one through three Gordon can credibly guard one through five yeah and just just that is 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 and that that's where Marcus him, Smart was the closest thing the Celtics yeah. you know had to that previously yeah and, and I would say just you know again based on size uh you know Gordon at this point in his career is is a notch or three above smart in terms of being that 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 sort of multifaceted yeah what do you need defender yeah absolutely and you know seth we we've kept you here long enough man i want to let you get your your weekend started here but uh you know really appreciate you joining the show here as i mentioned this is one of my favorite articles uh article series i should say it's not just one article it's five separate articles uh that runs each off season for the last four years so i hope that you definitely keep doing this uh but anything that you got coming up here that you want to just plug real quick and, and let the people know or where they can follow you and find you at i can follow me on twitter at seth part now i all have uh various basketball content coming out over, over the course of the year uh check check us out uh, weekly uh, it's it's sort of bi-weekly during the off season but uh nerd or she wrote on the um uh in, in athletic nba show uh with 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 my guys mo dekeel and uh and dave dufour um that's always a good time this is we're this is we're entering our uh our, our fifth season of, of doing that so we have uh, i think we've hit a we, we have a pretty good vibe together and i really enjoy doing that show so that's i think the the thing i would encourage people to check out the most awesome man well appreciate you stopping by here always fun and uh hopefully we'll connect again with you here soon thanks a lot guys Say. You got me on the floor, you know I came to play. I know I shouldn't, but you seem to take my pain away. And every time I score, Jason Tatum fade away. I close my eyes and I'm floating your river. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.